often vulgar, always explicit, and sometimes funny. Slap box. Slap box. Welcome to the Slapbox Podcast. This is episode 511. I'm your host, Josh Albrecht. And I'm recording once again inside the Slapbox penthouse. Living up with Agent Mulder in the back, just lounging like a, you know, what cats do. Just lounging. It doesn't bite me quite as much anymore because I just kind of give in. So I'm not as fearful now when I record the podcast that he might just lounge, you know, just lunge at me, and uh, not lounge at me, but lunge at me <laughs> and and attack. You know, just go right into the head. Um, but uh, so he's just chilling. He's chilling. I fed him right before this, so it's it should be good. Should be good. He's uh, dreaming of UFOs, I guess. Maybe he's finding Scully in his dreams or fighting Krychek. Ah, but, uh, which I guess I could have, again, could have named him Krychek since he's missing the arm and X-Files and all, but it wouldn't be as cool. as I prefer Agent Mulder. I, lo- I love Mulder. love Agent Mulder and all that jazz. And, uh, and, and he does look more like a Scully, though, seeing as though he's got the red. Or the orange, rather. I mean, it's very Dana Scully. But if I should ever, I guess, have a female cat and she ends up being orange, she'll be Scully. So I'll have Mulder and Scully. But uh, I have no desire to want to do that. I do not want to take care of two animals. I already enjoy taking care of one so much, so, so much, as vacuuming has become my new pastime. It seems, at least on Sundays, it seems like that's all I do on Sundays is I take the vacuum out and at least an hour goes by, if not more, as I try to vacuum up as much fucking hair as I can. So hopefully throughout the week I'm not dying from allergies. At least it seems that uh, maybe his shedding's gone down so much as when I I, uh, brush him, I'm not getting as much off. Although he's fighting him more, he does not really care for it as much. Maybe he's just winning the battle here. He's He let me know he's the agent in charge. He's Agent Mulder. He ain't going to take no shit from someone like me that's not affiliated with the FBI. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, just a, I'm just a grunt. Um, speaking of 11, as in 5-11, I did get around to finishing... All of the current episodes out for season four of Stranger Things. Almost said Strangers with Candy, but that show's been gone for a long time now. Long time. Weird show. Weird show. A little different than Stranger Things. Uh, but I was entertained. It was uh, I thought it was good. I thought the episodes were good. Um, it was a little weird. A little bit of an adjustment phase since like pretty much every one of those characters is an adult in real life now. Uh, with the exclusion of, I believe the, uh, I don't know the guy's name, but a uh, kid's name, whatever. Uh, Will is a, is his uh, character's name. He's the one that gets uh, st- 
stuck in the upside down in the first season. He's, I believe, 17 in real life, unless he just uh, changed, you know, I don't know when his birthday is, so he might be 18 already. And then, of course, Lucas, uh, his sister is still underage, but she's, you know, quite a bit younger than the rest of the cast. So other than that, <laughs> it's it's crazy. It's, it is a little weird offsetting. Since, like, the third season has been, like, I don't know, four or five years apart now. And they were quite a bit younger when that happened. And, uh, but, uh, I think, I feel like I just, uh, you know, get a good chunk of the way out of the first episode and you can kind of get past it. And they do kind of get, help you get over it a little bit with having, uh, flashbacks of Eleven when she was, I don't know, however old she's supposed to be when she's, uh, in the asylum or lab, whatever you want to call that. Uh, and they have uh, some other kid playing Eleven, but then like put her face over it. They did like a face-off situation with Stranger Things. Eleven face-off. <laughs> they, they swapped it. I want to take his face off. <laughs> oh, man, I haven't watched that movie in forever. It is so good. That is Nick Cage at his fucking best. That that just that whole scene where he talks about wanting to take his face off. So 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 good. It's like that's when Nicolas Cage like crossed the plane, crossed into a different plane, and just became uh, like a <laughs> a totally. Di- it was a butterfly situation for him. He was the caterpillar before <laughs> Face Off. He hits that moment in there, and he's, he turns into the beautiful butterfly that is now Nick Cage. Like, I think that's the moment <laughs> that Nick Cage became super cheesy and like a caricature of himself. I mean, there was some cheesiness before then, but I feel like that was that was a cataclysmic event as far as the Nick Cage canon is concerned. Anyway, Stranger Things. <laughs> Uh, that I really enjoyed the uh the how much Nightmare on Elm Street there is going on. There's so many callbacks to Nightmare on Elm Street and just a lot of the the look and feel of it. And uh, it was funny last week when I was doing the the podcast, I <laughs> I was talking about because I was looking at IMDb and I noticed Robert England was in there, and I was like, oh, I don't remember him being in there. Like silly me, he didn't show up till the fourth season. Yeah, like I was like, oh, I totally forgot. Like, how could I forget if Robert England was in there? I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street's one of my favorite all-time films. It's my favorite horror film, the original, the OG. The Wes Craven masterpiece. Um, But uh, I don't know that I'd say it's my favorite film of all time. It's my favorite horror film. That's That's without a doubt, as I was just a huge... Freddy Krueger fan as well as just Robert England. I was a big fan. So seeing him in Stranger Things, pretty great. And it was like classic Robert England. And he's got his, his fucking his eyes are taken out and he's just he's being Robert England and creepy and shit. As he plays what they thought to be like this killer. It turns out he spoiler alert didn't actually kill anybody. He was just thought to have killed people. You know, that was Maybe Vecna that did it. <laughs> it's true. Great. Vecna itself, himself, 
does have very Freddy Krueger-esque vibes. I mean, the the burnt look of them and stuff, and just the upside down, especially in this season, really takes, it looks a lot like dreams that you would see in A Nightmare on Elm Street. There's the house that Vecna grew up in, and uh, you see the doors and stuff of the house, and it's, I mean, it's not a dead ringer for the Nightmare on Elm Street house. There's no stained glass windows and such on that house on Elm Street. But just, I don't know, the feel of it, maybe just the way it looks in the Upside Down. is like, I just, uh, and you know, Robert Englund's involved, so it's like I'm getting a lot of vibes. A lot of vibes. I think uh, they actually even mention Freddy Krueger in it. There's, a, I believe, at the video store, there's a cardboard cutout of him as well. As, I mean, Freddy Krueger was a big deal back in the 1980s. Um, but, uh, <laughs> oh, I just, I'll always love, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Even though, like, I think, um, I think I was like four years old or so the first time I saw it. I was, I was way too young probably to see that. Um, <laughs> that's why I'm still fucked up and just recording a podcast by myself and uh, just trying to stay away from society because I watch Nightmare on Elm Street as a child. I'm sure that's that's the only reason why I'm screwed up. There couldn't be, like, possibly novels or anything that would... <laughs> I mean, I couldn't write a book about how crazy I am. It just all goes back to Freddy Krueger, I'm sure. That's, that's it. <laughs> My love for Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I, I want to say I was like four years old. Um, but uh, I don't remember my initial reaction to it, though. I mean, I was, again, fucking four years old when I saw the damn thing. So I don't really remember my initial reaction. I know that when I was a child, I had a lot of nightmares. Or not a lot of nightmares, but I remember having visual or very vivid nightmares where people were trying to murder me. Not Freddy, though. I got to say, not Freddy. So I don't think it was necessarily a result of watching A Nightmare on Elm Street. But, you know, that wasn't the other holy horror movie I watched. I didn't really enjoy watching horror movies. Um, Still do. But uh, <laughs> I, don't, I feel like I don't get as much out of them these days as I once did. I mean, I'm, I used to have quite the passion for them. I had, you know, passion for movies in general. It was just a big movie buff fan as uh, I used to collect all my uh, movie uh, stubs, the ticket stubs from the theater because I enjoyed going to the theater and back in the day when it was a, a cooler ticket when there was a little bit more to it like is where it was just, before it was just like some shitty printout where it was I don't know, the tickets used to look nicer <laughs> as soon as they started getting to where it was just a movie ticket stub where it was like a plain piece of paper with the movie name written on it it just didn't seem as cool. <laughs> um, but when there was a little bit more involved, like when they printed the tickets outside of the movie theater other than just like a cheap printer that they had there at the movie theater, they were kind of cool looking. <clears throat> and uh, I had quite the collection at one point. And I like I knew what each... Some of them didn't actually have the movie name on it, but like I knew. I knew what that movie was. 
and I don't think I have any of those movie ticket stubs anymore, sadly. But uh, anyway, those those nightmares. There was one, I I don't remember the dreams so much as well, but there was one I know that was like a recurring nightmare. And uh, there's no particular movie I could ever line this up with. The doctor, I know, my mother had taken me to the doctor and asked about the nightmares. And uh, came to the conclusion it was because I watched Scooby-Doo. And uh, I'm going to say it wasn't Scooby-Doo either. <laughs> I don't remember there being any Shaggy or somebody taking their mask off at the end. Like the old man, the crotchety old man. After like they take the pull the mask off, it's the crotchety old man that's... Hates all the children and wants wants them all to die or whatever, you know. However, you know that that old same classic ending to pretty much every Scooby Doo episode. Um, there was none of that, uh, <laughs> but I remember there was like I was tied to a chair, and uh, that there was somebody like walking around me, almost like fucking. I almost said Pulp Fiction, not Pulp Fiction, but Reservoir Dogs, and this is pre Reservoir Dogs by several years but it was like there's that scene in Reservoir Dogs where they're playing stuck in the middle with you which I wish that would have been in the dream that would have been crazy to like have a premonition of Tarantino movie like how did he steal this from my dream anyway Steeler's Wheel was not playing stuck in the middle with you while I was tied to this chair but there was uh, maybe not somebody as charismatic as a Mr. Blonde it was like a faceless person that was walking around me in circles with a knife. And it was like very clearly like a chef's knife. And then like, I don't, I felt they were trying to kill me, but I don't think they were actually telling me they were going to. And it was just that uh, I was in, it felt like I was in imminent danger. I don't remember that I was actually ever killed in the dream, you know, and I didn't wake up with the cuts on me that I can recall, <laughs> though I do recall many a times falling because uh Shelly and I had uh, bunk beds as kids and I I slept on the top bunk cuz you know I like I like to get a little uh high but not with weed you know what I'm saying I like to have I don't know there's kind of a rush being above things I like standing on cliffs a lot that shit's cool <laughs> that's a lot cooler than being on the top bunk in a bunk bed but you know when you're like 8 years old or 7 years old how were the fuck old I was at the time or younger. Um, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of cliffs around, so getting on the top bunk was, you know, as much adrenaline as I could I could muster at the time or had access to. Um, however, though, <laughs> apparently back then I rolled around a lot in my sleep, and there were more than one occasion there where I recall feeling like, I, if I recall correctly again I was pretty young at the time um I do kind of vaguely remember uh falling in dreams and then waking up on the floor (laughs) I don't think I ever suffered like head damage like severe head damage or anything there was another instance where I Shelly and I were watching actually there was a short run of a Nightmare on Elm Street series on television. Um, and I want to say it was only like a season or two. And uh, <laughs> we were watching that. 
let's see here the TV and uh, trying to find out the Wikipedia on it it was very short lived I know that um but there's a <laughs> yeah there was Kruger was in there I don't really remember a whole lot about the show like, I feel like in the show, oh, yeah, this is a short, there were two seasons. I was thinking maybe there was only one season, but I guess it looks like here on, according to Wikipedia here, there are two seasons. Um, And it originally aired on October 8th, 1988, the first season, and that went on through to May of uh, 89. Uh, that's uh, of course the first season. Then the last season, the second season rather, went on from October of '89 on into uh, March of '90. So yeah, I would have, I wasn't even quite ten years old by the time it was pulled off the air. And uh, I remember being uh s- hanging out in my brother's room and passing out on his bed. And uh, he had this picture frame on the wall that uh, had, uh, it was a baseball diamond. And it had all the bases in each, and it was a picture frame deal that had, in each base there was a spot for a baseball card. So it had, uh, I don't remember who all the players were. I don't think it was Cardinals. I think it was just random play. I, I don't remember. I just remember there being this picture frame with, baseball cards and uh it <laughs> i woke up and uh i i did have some head injury and i had no idea what happened <laughs> but apparently the picture frame hit me in the fucking head and i had fallen asleep while watching nightmare on elm street the tv show it was a night well, it's called the nightmare on elm street freddy's nightmares uh and According to Shelley, yeah, it was just I, I think he said I just hit the wall or something with my I don't know I don't know it seems sketchy to me I was like what happened you know I don't know what's <laughs> he fucking around and then the fucking picture frame I don't know what happened all I know is I got hit in the head with the picture frame and uh, I think I bled a little bit I didn't need stitches or anything it wasn't like any severe any real you know I mean if I had a concussion I couldn't tell you. <laughs> If I did, I did. It wasn't. It couldn't have been severe, right? Like, uh, I could speak and everything after. As a, I had a old boss, man. He had a really bad concussion. He had a accident on a four wheeler, hit a tree. Man, he came back to work like four days later or something. He still couldn't speak right and everything. Like, man, that that freaked the fuck out of me. Like, holy shit. I mean, he was fine after about a week or so, but this is like. It was some freaky stuff, but uh, there was none of that that I'm aware of. Maybe there was a slight concussion. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, so there's Freddy Night Freddy's Nightmares. I guess I could read the synopsis of it here on uh, the old Wikipedia since it's up here. Uh, Freddy's Nightmares, also known as A Nightmare on Elm Street, the series. 
It's an American horror anthology television series, which aired in syndication from October of 88 through March of 90, which, yeah, I already covered that. A spinoff from the Nightmare on Elm Street film series. Each episode was introduced by Freddy Krueger, played as in the films by one Mr. Robert England, and featured two different stories, with eight of them throughout the series actually having Freddy Krueger as the main antagonist. The pilot episode was directed by Toby Hooper and begins with Kruger's prosecution on child murdering charges. And that's the main one I remember is the him getting burnt and all that. And uh, it should be noted that uh, Toby Hooper, just fun fact, is, uh, I mean, he's a legend as he uh, <laughs> left a fame here, according to Wikipedia, is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, which he was, you know, involved in creating there. Uh, he wrote the story, and of course used um, elements from Ed Gein and uh, Elmer Wayne Henley, who was a convicted American serial killer, uh, incarcerated in Texas. But uh, Toby Hooper, yeah, he was the the legend behind Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He, I did not realize he uh, directed. I guess the first episode, the pilot episode of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the series, or Freddy's Nightmares. Um, but yeah, that was a classic. The premise here says, uh, due to the murderous basis of Freddy Krueger, New Line Cinema opted not to develop a television series with a regular batch of characters to mix it up with Krueger on a continuous basis, deeming it futile since he would inevitably kill most of them and there would be no one left. Instead, the producers created an anthology series employing a new crop of actors to be used for each episode. Each week, Freddy's Nightmares told a different story of a dark, rooted, and or grim nature that took place in the fictitious town of Springwood, Ohio, and in particular on Elm Street, the same setting as the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Though the Freddy Krueger character would occasionally play a part in the plot, most of the stories did not involve him. It was, however, often hinted that Krueger indirectly influenced the desolate nature of the plot lines. Similar to the Crypt Keeper, Crypt Keeper, and Tales from the Crypt, Krueger's primary function was to host the series. He was featured in regular bumper segments where he would offer an ominous or slapstick reaction to the happenings of the episode culminating in him giving a quick and usually eerie epilogue at the end. Uh, One element that makes the series unique is its two-tier story approach. Most of the episodes feature two different stories that each take up the first and second halves. Every second story, however, usually built on a character who played a minor or supporting role in the first. Several several episodes throughout the second season from uh, four mini-arcs with the events of one episode being followed up and or referenced in a later episode. Examples of this include episodes Interior Loft, which was given a direct sequel, Interior Loft, Later, and Lucky Stiff, which was followed up with Easy Come, Easy Go. Torrance High School was used as the filming location for Springwood High School, preempting its use in later horror series like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, fun fact. Which I never really got into Buffy. I watched the movie. The show I never really watched a whole lot of. There was Christy Swanson was in it, and uh, I think Paul Rubens, the uh, uh, P. 
Pee Wee Herman. He was uh, one of the vampires, if I if I recall correctly, from the uh, my my memory, which is tainted these days, tainted by just being old, I guess, and uh, all that that jazz. Uh, but yeah, I went on a rant <laughs> about Freddy's nightmares after uh, just talking about Stranger Things because I mean, shit, Robert England's in there. Robert England, and just there's just a lot of the look, probably just because of you know I've I probably think it just looks like Nightmare on Elm Street just because Stranger Things takes place in well the eighties, and what I think eighties, I'm gonna think Freddy fucking Krueger. Uh, it's still funny to me to think that uh, there was the <laughs> was a one one eight hundred number or whatever for Freddy Krueger. Uh, Kruger phone number. It was uh, no, it was the Kruger's hotline. Yeah, there's the Kruger's hotline. We talked about it years ago on the uh, <laughs> on the old podcast here. I don't remember. I mean, a long time ago. I think Shelley had said he might have called it back in the day, but there was. <laughs> this is so horrible because you know back in the uh, 80s and 90s. The uh, 1-900 numbers and all that were, like, all the rage. Get people to spend a fortune talking on the phone for hours on end. And uh, this was, you know, sold, sold to kids so they could get stories about Freddy. <laughs> See here, this is off of uh, bloodydisgusting.com. What happened when you called Freddy Krueger's hotline? Which, uh, here's a, a still picture from it. It's, uh, I think, from Ep- A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. There's that scene at the end when Freddy comes back out into the real world and they've got the flame up behind him and he's got his arms reached out. That's the picture they use for the still picture here. And it says, talk to Freddy, 1-900-909-FRED. It says, callers randomly selected by AT&T computers. So I guess you had to wait online? I don't know what that means. Uh, it says kids these days have Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and a plethora of other social media platforms to interact with movies. But what did horror fans do in the 80s and 90s? Scream was more socially relevant than you might recall, especially with Wes Craven behind the camera. Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise was so popular that a Freddy Krueger hotline was launched. one 800 fred or uh, 1-900-909-FRED, which begged fans to call and take on Freddy in a trivia challenge. Oh, I thought it was like stories. Anyway, with the recent passing of Craven, I started to reminisce... Oh, this is, uh, this is a while ago. This is from 2015. Yeah, he's passed a while ago. Um, I started to reminisce on the Elm Street franchise and recalled the this insane hotline... It then dawned on me I had never called and had no idea what would happen if I had. You can still, this thing's still a thing? Then I realized, shit, YouTube was everything, has everything on it. After a quick search, I discovered videos of kids recording their calls to the hotline as well as a series of TV spots. Thanks to Lair of Horror for uploading. Did anyone survive Freddy's Boiler Room in act? Uh, did anyone actually win an uh, Elm Street role as promised in some of the promos? 
Um, oh, I'm going to have to pull this up uh, on my laptop here. I got this on the PC, and way I've got it uh, all hooked up and everything. I can't exactly play the sound correctly through here, so give me a second as I try to talk and type at the same time, which in the past has not gone over real well. Uh, as, uh, Kruger hotline. Here we go. As, uh, sh- this should, should happen here. Pull this up over here. Click, 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 click. As I'm not really clicking, I'm just waiting for the damn thing to load up. And, uh, let's see here. I'm going to say that they probably didn't get a part for that role. Maybe there was. Who knows? I'm sure they didn't get paid if they were in it. This is a it was a kind of a longer clip. Let's see what we got here. This is I think it just record. It just looks like a shitty recording on a, a boombox. I don't know how good the audio is gonna be here. Let's see what we got here. As if this thing will uh deliver uh <laughs> shit. It's uh, having some issues with this. My internet connection has been shit uh, today and yesterday. I even reset the router earlier. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Here we go. This is uh, take 32. Uh, Still being all weird. I don't know that it's uh, unfortunately going to... Oh, it might just... uh, (laughs) It might load this up in the next year. Although I might get that Adam Jones Gibson Les Paul before this fucking video loads. We'll we'll see. Last I know it heard it was still looking like July when I get it. Maybe the uh maybe a single let up before July. I'm having serious doubts. Having serious doubts. Um holy shit, I think it's just kinda <laughs> Man, I swear I restarted this computer earlier. And, oh, it's not available anymore. That would be, I guess, why it's not loading up. That's a shame. I wonder if it was, like, copyright things or what. <laughs> what was it? There's there's other videos it's linked to here. This is, uh, <laughs> New Line's like, yeah, fuck you. We're not playing. You're not shitting all over our. Here we go. Here's a TV spot. Freddy Krueger has a special treat for you. Challenge Freddy. Win up to $10,000. Even a chance to appear in the next A Nightmare on Elm Street film. Test your nightmare knowledge. Dial 1-900-8604-FRED. See if you survive Freddy's boiler room. Dial now and play Freddy Trivia. But you better look sharp. Freddy doesn't take any prisoners. What a rush. $2 the first minute. $1 each additional minute. Callers under 18, get your parents' permission before you dial. Uh, I mean, back then, that's a lot of money, especially for a kid, man. $2 for a minute and then $1 for every next minute. Did I hear that correctly? But uh, <laughs> I would have been, you know, if I was on the phone for like 30 minutes, I that would have not been great. <laughs> uh, uh, here we go. Here's oh, there's just a bunch of TV spots for it. Your time watching that garbage? You should be 
doing your homework. I don't know what I can do. Hey, Junior, I got something you can really sink your teeth into. Calling all dream warriors. Think you're brave enough to face Freddy? Well, now you can put your nightmare knowledge to the test and win money. Or a chance to be in A Nightmare on Elm Street 6. Just pick up your telephone and dial 1-900-860-4FRED. And you can challenge Freddy Krueger in the ultimate trivia game. Hundreds of blood-curdling questions about all my films. Pointers. Well, listen up, lunch meat. You can win $1,000 a day or a grand prize up to $10,000. One lucky little piggy gets an all-expense-paid trip to appear in A Nightmare on Elm Street 6. $2 the first minute, $1 each additional minute. Callers under 18, get your parents' permission before you dial. Yeah, I'm sure all those children <laughs> bothered to get their parents' permission to call that fucking number. Uh, Man... I'm thinking I probably had to hear about that number before, but I guess my parents, maybe I made the mistake of asking my parents permission before calling. Um, but holy hell, I would have lost my fucking mind as a child if I would have managed to win a contest to appear in Nightmare on Elm Street 6. That would have been Freddy's Dead, right? I believe that's Freddy's Dead, which I saw in the theater. Um, my my mind would have been so blown from watching that shit or being in that. I it would have been my greatest accomplishment in life, and I probably would have become like a really bad drug addict or something, because by now I'd been like oh, that's still you know my greatest accomplishment. I don't think I would have gone any further than that. <laughs> I've been like, I don't know what I would have done after that. Like one, you know, I I love movies and all. Maybe I may I could have like been a in some other shitty movies or something. But just seeing that, because I'm, you know, obviously probably wouldn't have been like a, a much of a speaking love part or anything like that. Probably wouldn't have led anything. Or it could have led to me, you know, being molested by Harvey Weinstein or something. <laughs> it could have been some real horrible shit. Uh, as it were, um, I still probably would have enjoyed being in part six would have been great would have been great I don't know that uh... oh there they did give you horror stories I guess because there's somebody put up a 44 minutes of horror stories from Freddy Krueger's hotline so obviously there was more than just trivia but you could win I guess prizes from the trivia as uh I guess there's still several people putting shit <laughs> from the the phone stuff. I imagine like the quality of the audio is probably shit though. I don't think I need to really click on a video here that's <laughs> 44 minutes of stories being told over the phone. <laughs> uh if I could just go back in time. I never called the uh, Nintendo hotline, too. I know that they had the hotline for uh, tips and stuff, and they actually had gamers um, in their offices that... Uh, I forgot what they called them. Uh, let's see here. I'm sure I could... Google could probably answer this. But uh, they were like... <laughs> Counselors or something? They were uh <laughs> Nintendo counseling. <laughs> That's our first thing. Um 
There's the Nintendo hotline. Let's look up the history of that. Oh, and I spelt Nintendo wrong. How the fuck did I do that? Oh, I forgot the N in Nintendo. How the fuck did I... Uh, the second end. <laughs> or the third end, rather. Um... Oh, they, they, I guess, gave up on the hotline, their Nintendo hotline, fairly recently. Um, but it was Nintendo Power, the uh, awesome magazine, which they had, this went back when strategy guides were the, the rage. Um, Nintendo Power had, like, the best strategy guides as far as, like, a magazine that had a bunch of different games in as opposed to like the strategy guides where you get was just focused on one game Nintendo Power would have you know breakdown on several games they would have one like main article I guess almost like a playboy there was you know your center centerfold <laughs> they had like Battletoads was this month you get the and they map out all the stages and stuff it was fucking amazing back in the day to just have that in your the power in your hands the Nintendo Power with just these printed out maps and stuff were pretty fantastic. And uh, I, I think Shelly and I might have had a subscription for a little while. I know we had several Nintendo Powers. I remember if we had a subscription or we just bought them like individually. I'm not real sure. Um, but Here's a article on Inside the Nintendo Power Hotline. This is uh, GameInformer.com. It's uh, by Blake Hester here. Kyle Hudson didn't know what Nintendo Power was, but it was 1988. He was just back from boot camp, and he needed a job. His friend Jeff Palmer suggested they both go work for Nintendo. Palmer's cousin Cliff worked there as a gameplay counselor. He got paid to play video games all day. Hudson and Palmer could do that, too, the the, the latter said. Um, Jeff sold it to me like, hey, uh, we're going to sit in a cubicle and play games all day, and answer phone calls. Hudson recalls, and I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and uh, in 1987, Nintendo launched its no- Nintendo Power Hotline. If a player encountered problems beating a video game, they could call the hotline and get advice from what Nintendo called a gameplay counselor. It was effectively a call center. It was also so much more than that. By the time Nintendo shut the hotline down in 2005, gameplay counselors had helped millions. 2005. Well, that's not fairly recently. That's that's almost 20 years ago at this point. It's been a minute. But 2005 seems even still kind of late to shut that down. Internet's still already going pretty strong. You got game facts and everything already. But uh, I guess YouTube videos... Mapping out every game uh, wasn't really there yet, so that's what I think really killed strategy guides. Anyway, uh, gameplay counselors that helped millions. It, it became part of video game history, fondly remembered decades later by children that called. For some kids, gameplay counselors were heroes. They were literally people who got paid to play video games all day. For others, counselors were the first people in their lives to talk seriously with them about games. For many counselors themselves, they, uh, the call center launched their careers both within and outside of Nintendo. Despite not call center, despite not knowing what Nintendo was in 1988 when he applied, 
Hudson stayed with the company until 2012. More than two decades after taking his first call, he had worked his way up to Nintendo's product testing manager. To get an idea of what it was like to work at the Nintendo Power Hotline, we recently spoke with 12 people talking to a wide variety of former counselors, people that called the hotline growing up. We got a fly-on-the-wall look at what it was like to be part of the this point in Nintendo's history. We also learned a lot about Nintendo of America's culture in the 80s and 90s, spearheaded by its former president, Minoru Arakawa, which I believe I butchered his name. But uh, <laughs> here, the best job in the world. Nintendo wasn't picky about who could be a gameplay counselor in the earliest stages. All a person needed was to show up at one of the many temp agencies employed to fill seats and complete an application. If the temp agency called back, the first interview was breezy. Oh, man, I would have killed for this job at, like, 18 or 25 or fuck now. I don't know. There's too many games now to be able to just be knowledgeable about all of them. But uh, anyway, I guess I was getting paid every day to do it. It was basically, can you work this shift? Do you have reliable transportation? Just basic stuff, Hudson says. Are you are you breathing? <laughs> are you warm-blooded? Okay. It was when people got to Nintendo that the process intensified. The company billed gameplay counselors as video game experts. If you had a problem with the game, the professional gamers in Nintendo's Redmond, Washington office could help you, no matter how complicated or niche the issue may be. Uh... There is uh, there's a hand drawn map for Super Metroid here. That's a nice hand drawn map. They uh, some so some fucking nice uh, drawing skills here. Um, while Nintendo didn't require any of its counselors to actually enjoy games, once a person made it past the initial temp interview, it did require a weeks long training process. New employees had to play through games, learn about their various choke points and secrets, and take a massive test before they could field calls. You know, I I would hope that they would. Do some kind of training. Because, uh, again, I don't believe I ever called this, but I would be very saddened to call as a child and, like, stuck on games and getting infuriated if these if I was using my parents' hard-earned money <laughs> to call a hotline. I'd be very saddened if uh, they didn't have the answers. Anyway, instead of just answering one very simple question about Legend of Zelda, maybe you have to list all of the treasures in all of the dungeons in both quests. Says former counselor Cesar uh, uh How do you get to the minus world in Mario? How many coins do you need for an extra life? They just wanted to make sure you actually knew the games inside and out and the mechanics and how to beat the bosses. But I'll be honest with you, myself and a lot of people at that time, we cheated through the test, Hudson admits, because I was like, there's no way I'm going to remember all this shit. <laughs> After a short shadow period where new counselors would sit in while an experienced counselor took calls, they finally got on the phones. Calls were immediate and plentiful. It's hard to nail down exactly how many calls a counselor would get on a given day, though most approximations land around 100 per shift. At its height, uh, the call center had a couple hundred people taking calls for just under 24 hours a day. If each person is taking around 100 calls per day in total, the call center was receiving thousands of call ev calls every day. It was in operation. Sam Hosier III, was, uh, who worked there between 94 and 97, says at one point Nintendo gave out a shirt that said we had done 28 million calls. 
Of course, this number was exacerbated by the holiday season when people across the country were getting new Nintendo games and consoles. The counselors dubbed this Hell Week. <laughs> when we had our full call center, uh, they put up these Telecaster boards that showed you how many calls were in queue. Former counselor Yvette Kirby Waters says about Hell Week, we called it Hellcaster because you could feel the pressure when 100 to 200 calls are in queue, 300, you know, and there were over 100 people in the call center taking calls one after another, boom, 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 and yet the queue list is still in the hundreds. Even though Nintendo required a certain level of uh, memorization and expertise, it was understood gameplay counselors couldn't know everything every one of those millions of callers inquired about. To help with these tough calls, each counselor had a large green binder full of notes, hand-drawn maps, and solutions. Get good enough at passive conversation, and a caller on the other end of the line would never know a counselor was click quickly flipping through pages trying to find an answer. To them, it might seem like this person is the all-knowing gamer. Nintendo was pitching them, as in its then-monthly magazine, Nintendo Power. In each issue, individual counselors were highlighted in the counselor's corner, featuring tidbits such as their highest game score and favorite Nintendo games. Uh, letting callers put faces to the voices of Nintendo Power Hotline. See, I don't remember record, reading all these those articles. Shit, this article, man, this is a long article. I can't read this, this whole thing. But yeah, they apparently had fuck tons of calls. And I would imagine this would have been just a fantastic fucking, I can't ama- imagine how jazzed I would be about this myself, talking about video games all day and trying to help people. Because like I was... I loved like beating games and stuff and knowing all the secrets to it. I would have been like, Oh hell yeah. Okay. You got to go here, do this. All right. All right. Double jump, double jump, punch. (laughs) From what I understand too, the counselors, they got like jackets that said they were Nintendo power, power counselor. And it's like very eighties style jackets. Like, uh, imagine like the baseball players and that stuff at the time, would wear very, like, shiny-looking jackets. But, uh... Which it doesn't look like in that article they have any pictures of that. But, uh, there was the, uh... That Netflix, uh... Docu-series? I don't remember if it was one episode or more. I think it's a series. It's called High Score, I believe, on Netflix. That... They do get into that a little bit. They touch base on the Nintendo Power Counselors. And holy shit. I I wish I could <laughs> go back in time and be like 20 in the 80s. And just like, yes, I will tell you how to beat Goonies 2 and get that fucking ladder. I don't remember how to do it now because it was years ago that I, I did it. I remember initially when I first played that game. I could not find the ladder. This was the one thing I couldn't find. To beat the fucking game, I needed the goddamn ladder. I played the fuck out of that game. I didn't own it. Shelly and I never owned it. Then I went like over a decade without playing the damn thing. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to beat this fucking game. I, I don't. I got it somehow. I don't remember if I bought it or something. But I, I'd gotten a chance to play Goonies too. And I don't remember if I actually had to look it up or not. I feel like I might not have. I think I just played it long enough to find the damn ladder and I got the ladder and it was just so unimpressive. And back then (laughs) endings of video games during like the OG NES Nintendo entertainment center 
were very unsatisfying. Especially a game that took you over a decade to finally beat. And you get to the end, and it's just basically a game over screen. I don't think there was much of a story at the end that was just like, like, oh, you've, really? This is so unepic. Even though I beat the game, finally, it was like, this, this is just tragic. This is, <laughs> it's just sad, man. Just sad. Sad stuff to go that long. And it's just like, uh, I guess waiting an obscenely long time to have sex, and then you know when you have sex, it's just immediately with like one thrust, and then you you just come, and then just poof, and then like oh that was that was it, that was the uh, I've been waiting all this time, and that that was my climb, that was my ending, that was the denouement. <laughs> why 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 do I have a hard on for like an hour? Would it just you know when I when I wake up in the morning, uh, <laughs> all the, all that's gonna happen is just the, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, Obi Wan, man, the, the episode three, it's starting to get better stuff. Like I don't know how I feel about this whole Grand Inquisitor thing, because he's clearly alive in Rebels, which takes place after. The Obi Wan series, uh, timeline wise, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that he's alive there and gets killed in Obi Wan. Apparently, the writer says they're gonna have more about it in later episodes. I guess he's not really dead or something. I'm not sure exactly how they're gonna work that, but uh, doesn't bother me too much. But uh, there is there is hope in this series. I still have, uh, like, uh, I did enjoy the way it looked when Vader came out and he's, like, killing everybody and just, like, just choking him, just force choking. I just like seeing Vader just be like that. My favorite, but still my favorite scene with Vader um, in, like, the newer scenes as opposed to the original trilogy. But I love those just, was it, like, minute-long scene, whatever we get at the end of Rogue One where he's just going ballistic through that hallway. It's fucking great. <laughs> we got a little bit of that with so far on Obi-Wan, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of that, as that's, I just love me some Darth Vader. I think he's one of the greatest villains of all time on the big screen. Um, <laughs> But, uh, I really enjoyed the lighting they had with the lightsabers when Obi-Wan runs from Vader and then finally ignites his lightsaber and everything. He's lit up all in blue and then Vader's red saber, of course, is illuminating himself in red and everything. And just, it's very ominous. So I, again, at the end, I guess he just let Obi-Wan go because he could have easily put that fire back out again and then, uh, or just, I don't know, kept using the force on Obi-Wan. I feel like he just let him go at the end after he, like, kind of fucked with him a little bit, burnt him a little bit, just, like, toying with him. It's like a cat with a mouse, just, like, just playing around, like, you know, I'll kill you eventually. I'm just going to maybe chew on you a little bit, hold you in my mouth, enjoy every little... <laughs> little kick and scream that you got 
Just toying. Just toying. Uh, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to more of just Jedi action. I was I was really excited to see though. I don't know about excited, but I was glad to finally see. It was like in episode two. I think it's episode two. Yeah, episode two when like Flea dies. I presumably he dies. The one Inquisitor goes at him with a blade, and then they cut away. You don't see anything. You assume he killed him with the the lightsaber. <laughs> Didn't show it. But this is Star Wars, man. They've never shied away about cutting limbs off and stuff. I mean, Darth Maul getting sliced in half. Luke losing his hand. There's you know I you know Vader before his Vader when he was Anakin losing his arm. They've got a long tradition of hacking limbs off. And uh, we got a little bit of that in part three. We got the stormtrooper hitting the gate, the laser gate there, and then he's getting split in two. That was pretty nice. I did like that. I like that. Although that gate (laughs) seemed a little silly right there because I'm pretty sure the way it looks that you could just simply walk around the gate. Like, there's that one side, like the right side, I guess, and the way they shot it to where it looks like you could just walk around the gate. I don't think that there, for some reason, I'm talking about Bill Cosby. I don't know why. I just noticed that. Anyway, <laughs> enough of the, enough of the, uh, yeah, <laughs> enough of the roofies here. Um, yeah, It looked kind of like you could walk around the gate. Saying, but it was cool. It was cool seeing the the stormtrooper get sliced in half. I like that. <laughs> Guess I'm a little sick and twisted. Uh, this, of course, again might have something to do with the fact that I watched Nightmare on Elm Street when I was like four years old. Maybe that <laughs> gets. Some, maybe that says why I get some kind of joy of watching a stormtrooper get sliced in half. I don't know. Or there's something deeper and darker. Not really sure there. Not really sure. Maybe I, I'm uh, going to end up in the upside down soon. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Maybe Agent Mulder is really from the upside down. He could. We could have like a situation like uh, Captain Marvel. My cat's an alien. Maybe that, you know, not, I never really thought about this. But, you know, I have no idea why, where he came from when he showed up at my door. How he lost the leg. He could be like the cat from Captain Marvel. He could be an alien. I would think, though, that the vet might have noticed that. I, you know, I would hope that when uh, my good friend Megan took him into the vet, that they would have checked to make sure he's not an alien. But maybe they're really good at hiding it, you know? Maybe they're really good at hiding it. (laughs) I'm looking. He's just kind of still just kind of lounging, kind of sleeping on the back of the couch there. Not looking very alien-like. But I did also choose to name him Mulder. Maybe I knew secretly deep down that there's something peculiar about this one. Something strange. Something otherly, otherworldly, otherly. I don't know what's with my mouth not correctly <laughs> speaking. Connecting with the brain, making words correctly? I don't know. <laughs> it's the fact that I'm kind of freaking out about the cat maybe being an alien. Maybe. 
there's a chance, you know, there's a chance. I don't know. Maybe cats were somehow aliens. I should probably not even joke about making, you know, things like this. As as quickly as conspiracy theories travel these days, no matter how ridiculous they are, people start really holding on to shit. And then, you know, next thing I know, I feel, you know, I look at the stats on this and I, I reach about maybe 100 people a month or so on this podcast. It's not big. It's not big. But, you know, I continue to do it. It's just kind of what I do at this point. Um, <laughs> It would be awful one day if I would just jokingly, like with the alien cat situation here, uh, I don't know what people would really pull from that to make some kind of crazy conspiracy theory to lead them to do something fucked up in real life. But you don't know these days. I could be speaking. There's the one person that could be waiting for this episode every week that just already was already had some crazy idea about cats being aliens after watching Captain Marvel and just like that. I'm speaking to him now or her (laughs) or it, it could be an alien from, (laughs) uh, I really hope no one's like listening. You know what? That's right. That's right. That, that does make sense. My cat, I swore the cat levitated the other night. And he was kind of moving in the direction of that light, beam of light. I don't know what's going on there. It was like right after I watched Fire in the Sky again. Mm. Classic movie, by the way. Classic movie. And see, I believe I've talked about the guy on the podcast before. I don't remember his name. But the guy that they based the story, Travis, Travis something, Fire in the Sky. Yeah, I mean, he still swears by his story. I don't. I haven't watched, um, like years worth of interviews from the guy, or like read his book. I've watched the movie. <laughs> uh, but I can't. You know, from what I understand, there was uh <clears throat> that he's been pretty salad and keeping his story the same. Travis Walton is the guy that uh, the movie is film, uh, based on. I believe he wrote a book about it too. But he claimed, of course, to have been abducted by aliens and uh, his friends witnessed it and shit. Was, uh, I'm looking at the picture. I'm getting kind of freaked out just by looking at the picture of him. They say he's a strange dude. There's a lot of YouTubers and stuff that have interviewed him. He's been on like a bunch of podcasts and stuff. Yeah, it was in '75 that he was allegedly abducted. Um, but uh, it's I don't know. It's interesting. The I don't I don't know that I I buy into it. But uh, you know, it seems that there's a good chance there's stuff out there. I mean, the government's been somewhat more uh, open, I guess, about admitting that they've seen stuff that's unexplainable in the sky, which which almost feels like, are you trying to, you know, maybe keep our mind off other things <laughs> about how shitty things are? I don't know. It's like, look over here. Oh, yeah, you remember when you guys were crazy about aliens and you thought that was the big conspiracy now that... <laughs> there's just you know people are raiding the capital and stuff maybe don't worry about that you know maybe don't raid the capital and just think about aliens 
Don't uh, don't maybe worry about the Jews replacing you and like going crazy racist and everything. Just think about those aliens. And then if we're against the aliens, think about it. It could be the unifying factor the world's been looking for. If aliens do invade at some point or whatever or just come visit, we could always just, you know, yeah, fuck them. Fuck Mars or fuck Trauflamador or whatever planet they're from. The, the From the other side of the black hole. Uh, <laughs> we could have a planet-wide tribe and be and just be racist toward aliens like aliens as in from another planet and what's the you know it it seems the odds are slim that we'd be able to hurt those people from afar so i don't think like if we hated those aliens from another planet that we'd have any shot at really doing anything about it because we're just not advanced enough and I, i think the ball would be completely in their court but it could be a very unifying thing as we like, we hate our alien overlords if they come and just take us over and I don't know, turn us into cattle or whatever, you know. <laughs> but that seems like a yet another crazy conspiracy theory. But again, if it did happen, it could be it could be a great unifier. There is a the enemy of my enemy is my enemy, right? Is that is that, is that how that works? Did I say that right? The enemy of my enemy no, it was my friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been up since like 3 a.m. And it's currently 8 p.m. So I've, you know, a lot of hours on the brain. I did take a slight nap when I got home, but I don't think I really actually slept. Just kind of laid there uh, while Mulder laid across me, pumping his crazy ideas into my head. All like the uh, horror movie uh, Cat's Eye trying to steal my breath. I don't know. There's crazy stuff going on here. The penthouse. Crazy stuff. As <laughs> I've probably had way too many energy drinks this week. And I did have some sugar right before starting this. I had the Wiley Wallaby Sour Rageous Drops. That's sour licorice with the candy shell. And I can really feel it on my teeth. It's not a great... They taste good. Like, they're good and sour. If you like sour things, they're good to put in your mouth and get a little sour. Get a little... Pucker those lips and get a little tang. Get a little slap in the mouth. But, uh, and uh, Gatorade to help me kind of get a little bit more oomph before starting the show. So I think it helped a little bit. It helps maybe slightly. But uh, <laughs> I, I digress yet again, which really should just be the name of this damn podcast is just I digress. There's no me keeping a through line throughout the whole thing. That's for sure. Um, It was much easier in the earlier days, not to say that I was good at it, but when I had multiple people on and then maybe I'd have like one kind of idea to kind of like keep the conversation going. Maybe we talk about a certain subject. If I have like four people on or whatever, three or four people, it's a lot easier to go with like one subject and then get people, you know, a conversation back and forth. When you're talking by yourself, it just can often end up be me just rambling, <laughs> which is pretty crazy to me to think that I just watched before doing this show. Netflix just released. Um, they put out a final comedy special for the late, great Norm MacDonald. Big fan. Um, I know we talked about it, I believe, quite a bit whenever he passed. 
I don't remember Shelly might have came on for that over the phone. I don't recall. Um, but I know uh, Shelly's also a, a huge fan of Norm. Is uh, he was so great when he did uh, Silent Lives Update and uh, his if you have not watched his YouTube show. He had a, a a video podcast on YouTube, which you can still look up and watch. I think it was taken down for a little while because he had the Netflix deal. And he had a few episodes on Netflix that might, may or may not still be on Netflix. I'm not sure. Um, but holy hell, that show was fucking great. And he's got, uh, I believe, a few people now that have passed away on his show, like uh, Super Dave Osborne, Bob Einstein, which was like his first episode that he did on YouTube. That episode is so fucking great. Norm and Bob Einstein together, Super Dave, are so fucking great. So hilarious. <clears throat> but watching this last episode, or this last stand-up special, just not really a stand-up special. It's a comedy special, I guess. Because he was working on new material all the time. Um, And this happened, I guess, in 2020. Maybe it was 2021 already. But uh, he recorded it uh, when you know the, we w- no one was allowed to perform stand-up comedy, and so it's um, just Norm uh, wearing headphones, the hat kind of hiding his gray hair and stuff. And he mentioned that he was enjoyed hiding his gray hair and all that, and he's talking into a microphone much like I am right now. No audience. No, nothing. Just Norm MacDonald on a microphone. And, uh, <laughs> uh, it's weird. It's weird. There's some funny stuff in there. And it's, we, you know, he's talking a lot about death in it. And, uh, like, you can see that at that point, I mean, he's, he, he looks rough. And, uh, when he's talking about death, I mean, you know, he's, and he, he talks about, like, uh, <laughs> he talks about all kinds of shit. He talks about masturbating and everything. Great Norm McDonald stuff. Um, really sad, and I never actually got to see him perform live. I've seen a lot of his stand-up specials and stuff. Um, I still, I've only seen, I guess, a handful of comics live. I love stand-up comedy and everything, but I don't know. I just haven't gone to that many stand-up shows. I wish. I lived a little bit closer to a, a comedy club and uh, would would go see that more. I do enjoy stand-up comedy, but um, if you're a fan of Norm and stuff, it's it's good to watch. And after the uh, the part with Norm, when the, he finishes his bit, um, they have several comedians on that were friends with Norm, and they they talk about him for I don't know, like 15 minutes or so. It's Adam Sandler, David Spade. Uh, Molly Shannon, Dave Chappelle, and David Letterman. They uh, oh, and Conan, Conan, o- Conan O'Brien, and uh, they they share some stories about the late great Norm Motherfucking McDonald. Uh, <laughs> I one of the greatest things I I love about uh, hearing about Norm, and he was so good on the late night television shows. This is back when I watched a lot of late night television and watch a lot of Letterman and Conan. 
and uh, Norm was just fucking great. Kill would fucking murder on Letterman and stuff. When especially on Letterman, like he he was he loved David Letterman. He would go on there often at times with like Artie Lang, which they became really good friends after uh, filming the movie uh, Dirty Work. But they would tell their tales of debauchery and stuff <laughs> on Letterman. And hearing this, the crazy fucking stories of gambling uh, that that Norm would do, like uh, Artie, from what I understand, was quite the gambler. I don't know about now, but like, um, but Norm was like just a straight up degenerate gambler. <laughs> Apparently, like the nicest guy ever, but a horrible gambler. Like, just destroyed his his bank account multiple times. I think he. <laughs> He went bankrupt a few times because he gambled all of his money away. But there's some funny stories at the end there of this new special where the Sandler and Spade talk about uh, some of uh, Norm's gambling. Well, they all have, I guess, we'll talk a little bit about Norm's gambling. But, oh, it would have been... Uh, I, I almost wish I had a friend that had a lot of money that was, like, a horrible gambler. <laughs> Like, I don't wish ill on any of my friends financially, but the excitement it must have been to be around that person while they were just, like, blowing through that money. For someone like Norm, though, he, I don't think he died real rich, considering the fact that what he went through with his gambling stuff, but, I mean, he at times got paid a handsome amount, like, with dirty work. I think he made a decent amount of money out of that, and... uh you know, he made a good living through stand-up. His, he had a, I think his book was sold fairly well. And uh, I'm pretty sure Netflix gave him a pretty significant package deal whenever he uh, did his little talk show on there. And uh, he did, I think he had to, he might have had a deal for doing specials on there. I know there was one special he had done, or that is on Netflix of his, prior to this current one. I don't know if Netflix produced that or not. That might have been an older one. I don't recall. Anyway, he always found a way to like end up making more money. So <laughs> it <was> just, uh, <laughs> just, I can't fathom the stories they've t- talked about, like in his gambling. I mean, hearing the stories where he had like a hundred thousand dollars that he had won one night, and like this one, I don't. I've never heard that it's 100% true but it's gone the story's circulated so much that like I know Artie Lang has talked about it and other people that they had heard about this and they're like you know I believe it like I don't know that that (laughs) sure sure happened but they had $100,000 that he won and threw into the like the ocean (laughs) and he did that because he was going to waste the money anyway so he took it and he just threw it into the fucking ocean I guess because he didn't want to end up going back to the casino. I don't know. But pretty crazy stuff. Is uh I can't I can't fathom that. I've lost a little bit of money in casinos. I can understand the rush. But just losing like twenty dollars at a casino, I just feel bad about that. I can't imagine going back and like you know, putting my mortgage on the line. Like, look, I got uh, this house <laughs> I'll give you the keys to my car. Here's my title. I cannot fathom betting it all. Just betting it all. And I, I'm someone that plays Powerball three times a week. 
I bought a Powerball ticket earlier, knowing that most likely I'll never win. But, you know, there's that chance. There's that slight chance that I could win. Uh, I I still, knowing that, that I, I'm somewhat of a gambler, I cannot fathom just going like, you know, I'm going to, I feel confident that red is going to hit on this roulette table. I feel so confident. I'm going to bet every last possession I own. I'm going to bet like $300,000 worth of stuff. And I might have to take some loans to pay off most of this debt. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's just uncomprehensible to me. But, uh, I loved how honest Norm was about it. And, uh, he, he was not shy about telling stories about his gambling. And that was part of the, the charm to the uh, great, late, great Norm MacDonald. And, uh, I guess that's about all I've got as, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to more Obi-Wan and unfortunately, man, I got to wait till July for more Better Call Saul, Stranger Things, and potentially the Adam Jones Les Paul standard, the Gibson model, not the uh, Epiphone, which they still haven't released a, a release date on yet. Um, I, I won't be getting that if I ever get that Gibson. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's that's all I've got. And uh, as always, that is a kid in a wheelchair, not a trash can.